I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. This is KSL's Religion Today, a weekly look at religion and spirituality here at home and around the world. Now, here's your host, Martin Tanner, on KSL News Radio. Welcome. This is Religion Today. I'm your host, Martin Tanner. Today, I wanted to follow up on the theme of resurrection, which we discuss on Easter Sunday. This is really a fascinating topic, and today I wanted to focus exclusively on eyewitness accounts of resurrection. We, of course, have some of those, beginning with Matthew. At the end of Matthew, we read about many of the bodies of the saints who had died were resurrected after Jesus, and appeared into the holy city, meaning Jerusalem, and were seen by many. That's perhaps the very first account after the resurrection of Jesus. From there, you get to the Apostle Paul, who in many different places discusses that he saw, first of all, the resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus, and also based on his description of resurrected bodies, sun, moon, and stars, we know that he saw other resurrected people as well. We read about a number of those in different contexts. Some of those are in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 20, where Paul describes Christ as the first who was risen from the dead. We also read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 about Paul's teaching that since by man came death, in other words, because in Adam all die, even so in Christ will all be made alive, a clear reference to the resurrection. Paul goes on to show that he has seen the resurrection, and envision at least the second coming of Christ in 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 51. He describes what he calls a mystery. Now, a mystery for Paul isn't something that he doesn't know, and it's not mysterious. It's something that in those days meant simply something not widely known. For Paul, it's not a mystery. He's explaining it. He says, Behold, I show you a mystery, or something unknown. We shall not 
all sleep, meaning we shall not all die, but after Jesus comes, he says, we will all be changed, those who are alive, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. That twinkling of an eye is William Tyndale's translation into English of something that means in an instant. So, in essence, for people who are living at the time of the second coming, the resurrection will be more or less instantaneous. And this will be something that, as Paul describes further on in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, is where corruptible mortal bodies will be changed into incorruptibility. They will be changed and be immortal, which is an amazing thing. Paul, in many places, describes how Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection, and others will be resurrected as well. This is a tradition that's described peripherally in the Old Testament, not in many places, but in some. In Isaiah chapter 26, verse 19, we read in a modern version, quote, your dead shall live, their corpses shall rise. The earth will give birth to the birth to those long dead. In Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, we read that many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. In Daniel chapter 12, verse 13, it describes the same thing that Paul did. You will rise for your reward at the end of days. We also read in John chapter 5, verses 25 through 29, that the hour is coming when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and the graves will hear his voice and those who are in them will come out. We have these fascinating statements from Paul about the resurrection in the last days that he saw. Joseph Smith is another individual from history who has seen resurrected beings. He saw a number of those and was actually ordained by some. And he describes the quality of the resurrection and how it actually occurs in Joseph Smith history, volume 5, starting on page 360 in a sermon that he delivered on April 16th of 1843. In it, he is describing how he had read Brother Parley P. Pratt's letter to the editor of the Times and Seasons concerning the death of Lorenzo Barnes, who died in England in December of the prior year of 1842. And now he's in April of 1843 speaking. So it was the prior year, about six months earlier. And he remarks that he thought it important to talk about the resurrection and how real it is so that those who wonder about it can be reassured. And he talks about how his vision was so plain that he actually saw men and women and children raising up from the dead from their graves, and about how when they did, 
They were excited to greet each other again in their newly resurrected bodies. And then he goes on to talk about how in the resurrection, all of our losses will be made up, which is a beautiful idea and one that many who have had trials in life will find very, very encouraging. There's also a fascinating description of an eyewitness to a resurrection that I've mentioned in passing and done some quoting from occasionally. This is a man by the name of Ezekiel Johnson, who was born on April 16th of 1869 and finally passed away quite some time later, February 25th of 1957. When I originally heard this description, I wondered if it was true, so I thought I would do some due diligence, found out that it was. Several family members of Ezekiel Johnson told me that this is a true event and that his family members all believe it to be true and know that it's true and take it to be true. They believe their father and grandfather and great-grandfather to have had a real experience in which that family believes. I will also mention that one of the things that prompted me to mention this today is that I ran into another relative, a great-grandson of Ezekiel Johnson, who told me that in the Johnson family, indeed, as I'd already heard, this event, this description of a resurrection as seen by Ezekiel Johnson is true. So without further background, I'll also tell you that I've heard a recording of Ezekiel Johnson telling this story, and it seems credible to me based on the way it is delivered. So right after our break, which is coming right up, I'm going to discuss and go through in every single word what Ezekiel Johnson heard and also describe at a few places parenthetically in there some relating events and scriptures that uh, might be found useful to you. So let's take a short break. When we come back, uh, Ezekiel Johnson. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Religion Today with host Martin Tanner continues on KSL News Radio. We're back. I'm Martin Tanner. This is Religion Today. If you have a question or comment about this show, send me an email. Send it to martinstanner at gmail.com. This is what Ezekiel Johnson said. Quote, 
I've been asked to relate an experience I had in 1908 or 1909 in San Juan County, Utah. I had just started making a home in Blanding. The whole country there was covered with trees and sagebrush. I was working one day in the spring with my son to clear some ground, to plant a few acres of corn. We had five acres cleared and had started to plant corn in the furrows. I would plow open a furrow. My boy would drop in the corn. Then I would cover the furrow by the funneling of the plow along the side of the row. Ever since I had been plowing on that piece of ground, I had discovered from time to time the remains of what appeared to be ancient houses of some kind. As I was plowing along that day, I saw the newly exposed earth as I made a furrow in the bones of a partial skeleton were exposed. They were the bones of a small child. The skull, the backbone, and a few other bones were there, but the other bones were all gone. I immediately stopped my plow, although I had already passed the little skeleton. I stepped to the side of the plow for a better look. As I was looking at the little skeleton, wondering what to do about it, I noticed that the bones were beginning to wiggle and change positions. At the same time, taking on a different color. As the bones assembled, the lost ones were also formed. Now, let me jump out here for a minute from the story and mention that for a resurrection to occur, you don't have to have all the bones. You don't have to have any of the uh, non-bone parts of a body. They will come back. Those that have been dispersed or new ones will be formed. All right, continue on with this description. A minute later, I was looking at a complete little skeleton. It was perfect and whole. Notice he uses the word complete, he uses the word perfect and the word whole. To continue now, quote, Then to my amazement, I saw the rest of the natural body, the entrails, organs, and other parts, form onto the skeleton. Finally, I saw the skin and hair reform on the body after the inner parts and skin were complete. A beautiful head of hair adorned the top of the head. The child was on its side with its back to me, and so I wasn't able to discern the sex. As it raised to its feet, a beautiful robe formed over the body as well. I could then tell it was a young girl somewhere between five and seven years old. She looked up at me, and I just looked at her for perhaps a quarter of a minute. We just stared at each other both of us smiling. 
She was so beautiful. And I said, oh, you beautiful child, and reached out to touch her. But before I could, she went up out of my sight. Let me jump out again and mention, this is something that rings true to me. This is very much like Mary seeing Jesus at the tomb. She wants to touch him, to reach out to him. Jesus says, touch me not. I haven't ascended to my Father in heaven. This is the same thing that has happened to a number of people who have had near-death experiences. They want to touch the person who has appeared to them in a vision or who has passed away, but they can't do it because they have not been to heaven yet. Let's continue on here. Ezekiel Johnson says, quote, I was awestruck. I stood there for several minutes, wondering at the event. My son was down at the end of the row, wondering why I had stopped. Finally, he came to me, but I had decided not to tell him or anyone else what had happened. What I had seen seemed so mysterious and so miraculous, and I wondered whether I would be believed. And I also wondered why it had happened to me, why God had allowed me to see it. But my son knew something had happened to me because of how it affected me. And he told others. And soon it was known that something had happened to me on the Mesa. Quite some time later, I ran into a dear friend of mine on the street in Blanding. This was a state patriarch named Wayne Red. He said, Zeke, you had an experience on the Mesa, and you haven't told anyone about it, but I want you to tell me. I told him the story, the entire story, and from then on, I've been asked to tell it in church meetings, at socials, and in church conferences. I've wondered over the years about what happened, about what I saw. It worried me for a time, for years as a matter of fact, and I wanted to know why a simple man like me, common and uneducated, was allowed to see that beautiful girl resurrected. I'm still not sure I know exactly why, but I have had great comfort during my life from this experience. I don't just believe in a resurrection. I know firsthand it's real. Sometimes I have such strong feelings about it, I can hardly express them. But I'm so thankful I had it. Signed, Zeke Johnson, November 5th of 1954. Zeke had told his story many, many dozens of times. He finally put it in writing in 1954. Remember that it happened in 1908 or 09. And we're so happy that he put it in writing because he 
passed away just a few years later, three years later in 1957. One of the most impressive things about this story is it's not something that you would make up because in some ways it sounds incredulous. And yet there is no way that wouldn't sound incredulous that somebody could describe a resurrection. If you described it as instantaneous, that might sound a little incredulous. If you described it as happening over the course of a few minutes, like Ezekiel Johnson did, that might sound a bit incredulous as well. And yet, keep in mind that what he says also looks like what Brigham Young and Joseph Smith said in other places. You are resurrected in the same form in which you die. This was a little girl, and she was resurrected as a little girl. She didn't instantly become an adult. She came back the way she had died, and from there she will apparently grow to adulthood, or by now perhaps already has, while on the other side. Join me again next week. I'm Martin Tanner. This is Religion Today. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.